Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We're recording on Thanksgiving night. The Gators have just fallen 90 to 83 to Xavier Musketeers. Um, a back and forth game, Florida led in both halves. Uh, and um, a game of runs, ultimately, sort of a game of stops, too. And Florida couldn't get them, Eric. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway um, for me is 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 Florida's defense, which um, I think has just left a lot to be desired so far this season for um, a team that I think entered the season thinking that they would be really good on the defensive end. So uh, that's something we'll certainly get into throughout this podcast. And as we bob and weave our way through uh, many storylines, and I'm sure take take many turns, but um, I, I do think that Xavier's a, a good basketball team um, for sure. I don't think this is going to be a loss that the Gators that's going to hurt the Gators a ton or that the Gators or Florida fans are going to be like, wow, how did we, we lose to that team? Um, I think Xavier's a good basketball club. I think they're very, very well coached. Um, I think Sean Miller was, was cooking against the Gators. Um, I think they scored on every single after timeout play. Um, I'm, I was, we're, we're just recording this, you know, not even an hour after, after the game ended. So I haven't been able to, to chop up too much film, but man, uh, on first watch, I, I, I think they scored on every single after timeout play and, uh, made it look pretty easy. So I think it's a great, uh, I think that's a good basketball club with an outstanding basketball coach. And, uh, well, ultimately was, uh, um, in a, what well, was a close game. I think, uh, things come down to, who has the better, uh, you know, guys who can go one-on-one and, and, you know, a little bit of, of, of who's got a coach who can, can really cook something up. And uh, I thought that was a Xavier team that had a, had some, had some guards going, had some big men going and had, had their coach going. So uh, very unfortunate loss for the Gators, but uh, I think, Hey, if you're a Xavier fan, you're probably not listening to this, but if you are a Xavier fan, uh, welcome. And I think you should be pretty happy with your team's performance tonight. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it, I, again, as Eric said, it's an hour after, so I haven't, had the benefit of my usual rewatch, like like Eric and I, Eric and I tend to watch these games twice, even the losses. Uh, we're gluttons for punishment, especially um, the losses. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think Florida had Florida was scored on on at least four consecutive stagger screens, um, you know, and <laughs> so that was kind of uh, it was kind of frustrating. There are like just certain actions that Xavier executes really really well, and you know, it's not so much that Florida didn't do things differently defensively for me. It's just they couldn't stop any of it. And, and I think it's disconcerting. Um, and I, you know, um, I don't know whether to start with like transition defense, which again was sort of a problem in this game. Uh, or if we want to start with perimeter defense, or if we just kind of want to, as you put it, bob and weave back and forth between both. And I'm leaning towards that, Eric, because I thought, they got caught up in transition and sometimes that led to triples for the Musketeers. So here is my hierarchy of defensive problems. Um, I will go, I will go third to third to first. I'll, I'll say three and I'll say what I think is the, I'll say least problem to what I think the biggest problem is. I think the, the third um, least biggest problem of the things you just mentioned our perimeter defense. Um, I think that, yes, the Gators have some guys that are not great perimeter defenders, but I think just kind of generally speaking, it's not a whole lot of straight line drives, um, which, uh, man, has really helped out by Will Richard, who's been really good on the defensive end. Um, Kyle Lofton, I think, played a much better defensive game in this one than he has in the last couple. And, hey, against a team that's the first 
<laughs> sorry, I shouldn't say the first. I was about to say the first time major team the Gators have faced. I don't even know how to classify Florida State right now with uh, all the injuries they had, but um, the team that that has high major guards, I'll, I'll say that because Florida State doesn't have any of their high major guards there. So um, for Lofton to you know play his best perimeter defensive game, at least you know probably my opinion, I thought that was good. So while I don't think it's a huge strength for the Gators, that's not my biggest concern. Um, next would be transition defense, which definitely was, I, well, I don't think it was as bad as it was in previous games, but the, the breakdowns were loud. And like you mentioned, a lot of the threes came in transition defense when it really broke down. So it just made those poor defensive possessions feel a hundred times worse. And then the biggest thing that I think that the Gators really struggle with that I think goes back to Florida Atlantic, especially a little bit to Kennesaw state and especially against Xavier is like Florida really, really struggles to guard actions. Like when it's like regular shell teams that want to dribble drive, swing the ball around the perimeters and the Gators can stay in their shell and drop pick and roll and, um, and, and, and help in the gaps. They look okay. Anytime a, t- a team starts screening away from the ball, the Gators absolutely collapse. And I think the biggest examples of that would be Florida Atlantic, how we talked on the podcast about how they scored on the Gators on the same baseline out of bounds play every single game. And then I tweeted it out and I saw that you just retweeted it, Neil. But uh, I pointed out before the game that they really like this uh, this kind of flex screen action, this rip play for a post player for Zach Fremantle to catch the basketball kind of was hoping the Gators would be prepared for that one. I, I don't know if they prepared for it at all, but it certainly didn't look like they're ready to guard it. Um, they scored every single time on it, seemingly, um, Xavier. And it just seems like, and and you alluded to it as well, anytime someone sits a stagger away from the ball, again, something that Florida Atlantic did, and then something we saw, like the Gators just struggle to guard actions. They're, they're disciplined chasing on pin downs there, or not that that has to be the way they guard pin downs, but anytime there's a pit, like I just, I, th- and that's why I was truly terrified every time Sean Miller had a, uh, had a timeout because I knew he was going to draw something out that was going to, was going to cook him. And, and he did every single time. So that I would say my, still my biggest concern, like I, I still think the transition defense is, is going to be better. And I think that their overall defense and ability to guard actions will get better because right now it's really bad and it's, it's got to get better, but like, it's just striking it just like, and looking at the profiles of the shots, the Gators are giving out, giving up. It's like, Oh man, anytime someone has a, has a play for a flash to the high post or a backdoor cut or a screening action for a pin down or a stagger or a back screen, man, they, they, the Gators are getting set up for highlight real play. So I, I, that, that's my biggest concern defensively. Um, I'm curious if you would have the same hierarchy or if you might have transition, you know, as, as even worse. Yeah, I think I've got it the same way with just one a being it's sort of, maybe I have it as a one, a one B rather than a one, two. And like, I do think it's kind of a distant third in terms of perimeter. And I know that sounds strange when you see, FAU shoot 13 of 24 from three and Xavier shoot 10 of 20, right? And your opponents are 23 of 44 from deep in games that you've lost and in games that Florida has won. Hold on. I have it all uh, written down. So, and then in games, Florida, well, at least in, yeah, I gave only won three games. Um, so 15 makes in three games on 61 shots. So, you know, a pretty huge discrepancy between, when you win and when you lose uh, from beyond the arc. But, you know, Adam Baum from the Sensing Inquirer couldn't get him on, uh, had some time issues on on my end. Um, but 
got a message from him and just said, you know, 18, 18 points off threes in transition for Xavier today. Um, so that's six. Six of their three-point makes out of ten were in transition offense. Like, that's not good. Like, Florida has to put their heads down and get back. And and I, you know what? Sometimes we talked a little bit about this last year, Eric, like how sometimes you can get caught up in transition defense when you're throwing bodies at the basket to offensive rebound. But I don't really think that's what happened to Florida today, really. I think it's just like kind of guards getting stuck in semen a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, as much as I, I said, I thought Kyle often played a better game. It's just, a, you, you I don't think it was him either, by the no, way. No, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, like I'm just, I'm just was about to kind of go down the line a little bit, but it, I, I do think there's some, some pacing things with him where he was kind of stuck between, okay, am I jamming the ball handler after they get a defensive rebound and outlet or, or not? Um, I, again, I thought some guys were just kind of, uh, kind of sprinting back and not seeing the basketball. I think that's a big one. And it just seems like a lot of the, a lot of players are just running back, putting a nose on the rim. So they run back really like they're flooding the middle of the floor and, and not running out wide and just making for really easy passes up the sideline, which are of course the corner threes that they're giving up. And, um, and, and one player that I'm sure we'll have to talk about um, that played a good game on the offensive end, but is still uh, looks like very much a freshman on the defensive end um, is Riley Kugel who played well offensively. But of course the opportunity cost of, of having a freshman out there is that there's going to be some things like transition defense that, that are going to struggle. So uh, yeah, I thought he had some moments of just not seeing the basketball and there was times where threes were going up on his side of the floor. And I, I don't think he, I don't think he knew the shot was going up because his back was to the play. And um, it's just a little bit of having to identify players earlier, stopping the ball earlier if you're a ball handler. And, uh, but, but set, you know, it's several issues, I think, in the transition transition defensive kind of category. Um, and uh, that's, it's something that, again, like we kind of talked about, it's, it's not something I can imagine being a problem all year long, but like, hey, I guess maybe if they have this, uh, maybe if they have this problem, then, Maybe it is going to be something. And and I will also point out, um, you mentioned offensive rebounding. Sometimes you send a lot of bodies to the glass. Um, unless you mentioned this number, I wasn't paying attention. The Gators, after the Xavier game, are 168th in the country in offensive rebounding. And it's very important to note because, of course, me and Neil are often going to use adjusted numbers um, by Ken Palm when it comes to offensive and defense efficiency. This offensive rebounding number is not adjusted for quality of competition. So this is the Gators have not been a very good offensive rebounding team, even factoring in that they have played, you know, largely mid-major opponents to this point. Yeah. And they had, they had 14 today. Um, although I would say deceptive, a little deceptive number because five of those came in like the last two minutes of the game. Mm. So, and I, and I know that the number is five because I looked at the stat sheet at the under four media timeout with like three or six left and saw, Hey, Florida's, doing they're winning the offensive glass against Xavier, which no one had done this year, um, you know, nine to six, but then it ends up being like 14 to seven or whatever. And so it's kind of like, well, that's interesting. Florida actually got out rebounded um, in this game, uh, largely because Xavier really controlled the defensive glass. Uh, Florida picked up a couple cheapy fouls, trying to get offensive rebounds. Uh, CJ Felder got one, Colin Castleton um, got one that I thought was a little harsh, but, uh, the one on filter, there was a ton of contact and they're going to call that every time. So I think, yeah, but I mean, the point being, I don't think it was like crashing the glass that caused some of these transition problems. And I'm with Eric, like, I still don't think this is going to be a long-term concern, but 
now you're at five games and you've had bad transition defense in three in a row. So like that's concerning, you know, Oregon state who they'll, we'll talk about at the end of the show, they aren't going to run much um, no matter what, uh, but you know, certainly can't be giving up easy baskets against whoever they play Sunday. Uh, And if it's a seventh place game, you know, all the more frightening because then you're starting to talk about instead of a quad one loss, which is what I expect this will be, you know, you get into some concerning stuff um, on the other end. You mentioned Riley Kugel, and I do think that's a good time to get into rotations. Um, I've, I've done Niles Lane advocacy for two years, so I will I will skip Niles Lane advocacy tonight other than to say that, you know, I do think – that he would probably help this team with some of the things that ail them defensively. And so like the question to me becomes opportunity cost the other way. And it seems like with two straight DMPs that this staff has kind of evaluated that and decided they'd rather have Kugel's explosiveness on the offensive end than have a defensive stopper on the floor. Yeah, and it's, you know, I haven't been a big fan of, of Florida's offense to, to start the season. Um, of course, this was their best offensive game, in my, in my opinion, by a large margin. And I think part of it is because, by the, far. Gators, because the Gators are, are are running continuity ball screen, which means you need, well, ideally three, but at least two pick and roll ball handlers on the floor at all times. And it's like, Kwesi Reeves, is he that? We'll have to talk about Kwesi Reeves at some point. Um, you know, not great. Um, well, the uh, Staff seems to think Myron Jones is, is pretty good in that role. TBD, early returns are maybe. Um, but it's pretty clear that with Trey Bonham on the floor, that's that's going to help when you've got Lofton and, and Bonham kind of as as two guys that can really run it. So uh, definitely the offense looked a lot better with Trey Bonham, um, who is often awesome. Um, but yes, I do think there's some opportunity costs on the defense, man. And I thought Trey Bonham was, was good on the ball. Um, but he's not someone who's going to plug up, uh, like, like if it's in a scramble situation, it's not like he can be the guy who rotates over and just swallows up a drive or can have one really good closeout on, on a big wing that, that can, uh, keep a, you know, keep a Colby Jones or whatever from going downhill. Like, uh, so I, I again, I think there's some opportunity cost. Well, but I'll at least say like, well, the offense has not been good. They made a change to make their offense better, probably knowing their defense was suffering. At least they did get the return of good offense. So it just want to going to be one of those things that they have to, uh, have to continue to weigh. So um, you started the rotation talk, hinting at Riley Kugel, gave your quick Niles Lane pitch. I will now throw the Kwesi Reeves situation at you to see what your thoughts are. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just really confused because um, a DNP for a player that is as talented as Reeves is really strange. Um, now, and look, Kwesi uh, has some issues defensively that we've documented for the year plus that he's been on campus. But on a night where like, I didn't think Will Richard defended particularly great, got lost under a couple of ball screens um, on two of the four half court threes that Xavier made. Um, he's got to stop doing that because he's not athletic enough to recover. Um, and, you know, he ends up minus 15, which is Florida's worst plus minus number by a lot. Um, you know, is Kowasi that much more of a deficient player on that end that because he's certainly an equitable player to will offensively to me. Um, 
you know, even with sort of what we've seen as his limitations when he tries to drive to the basket, which don't necessarily seem to affect Richard as much. Uh, and, and Will was real pure shooting the ball today, right? Especially in the second half. And still ended up minus 15 because Florida just could not get stops um, when he was on the floor. Now, how much of that was about who he was out there with, Eric? I don't know. Um, and has he been Florida's maybe best defender in the first four games other than Castleton? Sure. So, like, I'm willing to kind of give him a pass dealing with somebody like Colby Jones, who's, you know, and some of the players that he probably hasn't really seen that kind of talent yet, to be honest. Um in his collegiate career, but I just don't understand unless it's disciplinary. I'm, I'm quite honestly baffled by how ways he could fall out of the rotation. And it's not just this game. And I wanted to point that out to people like he has now not played for three halves. Yeah. Like I am curious if so, so we know and talked about, um, so he gets benched for the second half against Florida state. I think it was probably due to shot selection in the first half. Um, I don't know if that was it totally, um, but I will probably played somewhat of a role and what happens. Um, the Gators end up having their, their best half of basketball of the season. Probably um, was that, you know, can you draw a straight line to that being because they took out Kwesi Reeves? Like probably not, but I guess, you know, you could say, well, it probably played some role. And then if it's like, Oh, we're going to, um, start the same lineup that started the second because they were, you know, successful. That can make sense. Um, and then maybe it's just like, well, they were playing, you know, relatively good basketball the whole time. And maybe they liked what they were getting out of Myron Jones. Um, but I, I, I do wonder if it's as simple as like, well, they had their best half of basketball without him against Florida State. So let's start the game. And then by the time it was kind of rolling and there's not really a good there's not a, a wing of Kwesi Reeves athleticism to kind of match up with. Um, I wonder if the thinking is just something like that. I mean, again, I would have liked to have seen him out there. Um, again, some starting to see, you know, some moments of, of Myron Jones playing a little bit better. Um, but if we're going to talk opportunity cost, um, giving him all this minutes to, to maybe have someone who's a plus shooter and average ball handler, average defender, it, generously I, I i don't know i i just like sec's coming fellas and and i think at some point you need sec size and sec athleticism and there's a couple of those guys sitting on the bench for the gators um would that have totally flipped this game uh i don't know i i, I would have liked to see them see them out there a little bit um and now of course against a, a team like oregon state who uh we'll we'll, we'll get into and and um they're, they're 23 minutes of zone. I, I, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to say this um, as a, as a big storyline about Kwesi Reeves, if the Gators continue to play continuity ball screen, which I don't know why they wouldn't, that seems to be Todd Golden's thing. That is not the best offense for Kwesi Reeves. Um, not at all. So if, if that is how this team is going to play basketball, um, like again, it's not such a bad fit that I think Kwesi Reeves is, never going to see the floor again or anything like that. But um, as someone who has ever since Kwesi Reeves stepped on campus, thought he was going to be a monster this year. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I would feel not as, as locked into that take if, if I know that the Gators are going to be playing constantly ball screen. I mean, unless again, unless Kwesi Reeves kind of pivots and says, well, this is how the Gators are playing and I need to see the floor and be the best player I can. I'm going to start, getting better at just straight ball screen, empty side ball screen reads, which he might. Right. And well, he probably will. Cause that's going to be 
what it requires. But as of, you know, right now, I could also say, well, this offense isn't the best for Kwesi Reeves' skill set. So, like, yeah, got to make sense to play Bonham a ton of minutes, which, hey, he was cooking. No problem. No problem. I, I yeah, did not want to yeah. see any less Trey Bonham minutes. But, again, it, it just it's, it makes sense that this is the Gators, how the Gators are going to play. Yeah, they need two pick-and-roll ball handlers out there. Um, Will Richard, I think, on the defensive end has earned that wing spot. And I don't know if Kwesi Reeves is going to take that away from him on, on the defensive side. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the situation is with, with Reeves, but Hey, maybe he's uh, in a battle for minutes that we would not have uh, expected coming into the season. Yeah. I mean, it can't be for bottom right now. Cause like you said, he, I mean, he's cooking. He was, you know, plus 10 today, uh, 23 points, um, a couple steals, just kind of real pesky defensively. Now he's having trouble, like keeping a guy on his hip, which you'd expect, uh, I think a little bit, um, and yeah, I mean, Florida certainly, I think I thought Richard and him both had, you know, kind of dire moments guarding actions today uh, that, you know, for Will, it's a one-off for Trey. It's kind of wait and see because, you know, he is undersized and you kind of wonder about it, Eric. Um, you know, and I guess the last guy that I would mention just from a rotation standpoint would be Alex Fudge. Cause I thought just defensively, he was so productive when he was out there. And like this team clearly needs help on that end. And, you know, let me get back on. In fact, while I mentioned fudge, uh, that's probably a good time to get into the sort of 17 points that decided this game very obviously. Right. Um, Alex fudge makes a steal, misses a breakaway dunk, um, which really would have been like a majestic Michael Jordan type. Like, I mean, he, if it weren't Alex Fudge, I think everyone in our fan base would have said, just pull the ball out and run your offense. Cause he was kind of, he was kind of one on two, to be honest. Like there was a trailing defender, but he wasn't really a trailer. He was kind of parallel to Alex and Alex just took off from the free throw line and missed. Um, that leads to a three on the other end. Uh, Florida had two of those plays also elsewhere in this game. Uh, a Riley Kugel steal. He misses the layup, three at the other end. A Will Richard steal, a missed layup, a three at the other end. And then I think the most egregious one, and I'll explain why that's my take, um, at the end of the first half where there's a miscommunication clearly between Golden and Jones. And I want to point out Golden there because Myron is a fifth-year senior who played a lot of basketball in the Big Ten. So I'm thinking that at some point, Myron Jones was waiting for Todd to tell him timeout and that didn't happen. And before Jones could like look up and move forward, um, the ball was in the basket at the other end and Castleton was helpless. And there's an and one and Florida just goes from up four with a minute and 10 seconds to go in the first half to down four at halftime, which I thought was just sort of a disaster sequence. And when you think about it in a seven point loss, that's an eight point run, right? Um, and I've just mentioned 17 points. If you count like the layup three, five point swings and then the Jones layup. So, um, those are kind of your pivotal moments of the game and all of them, like I can deal with, honestly, like I'd love them to do layup drills and stuff, but they do all that, right. They work on finishing through contact. Like every division one program does that. So 
you know, yeah, like you miss some layups. Okay, it happens. But like don't give up transition threes when that happens. And then also, you know, but I'm, to me the Jones mistake is more egregious because it's kind of like just protect the basketball. Man, if I I don't know if I want to like rub salt in, in the wounds of, of people who are not very happy after this loss, but it's almost like – it's almost similar to uh, you know a certain football coach that was uh, where, where last year there was all these procedural issues on the offensive side of the ball to start games and people were like, how how do you come out and have your first scripted drive and not get the play call in or um, have guys line up wrong? <laughs> like it was almost one of those like procedural issues where like you said when it's like an athlete who is able to tomahawk the ball from the free throw line and he misses like, you know, what do you say to that one? Okay. Maybe, you know, Riley Kugel, maybe go off two feet a little stronger in, in right. instead of trying to go off one foot and, 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 and spin it off the backboard and thing. Like, like, yeah, you can say that, but generally speaking, it's like, Hey, you got to the rim. You're going to make more of those than you miss when it comes to like this Myron Jones thing. It was really interesting. And, and, and I was driving back from, from, from coaching basketball. Um, I was a little bit late. So I had to, I was watching the game on a little bit of delay. I caught up with like four or five minutes left, luckily. And cause I wanted to make sure I watched the whole game and um, in time for this podcast, but uh, it was interesting. Kyle Crooks, who was, was on the call, who I think is excellent. Um, shout out to him. Yeah. And, really and good. Humph- Lee Humphrey, of course, also excellent. Um, it was really interesting because they first pointed out, of course, um, obvious miscommunication. Um, Jones gets stripped. And, uh, but they pointed out that apparently right after, you know, Golden was really going after his assist or I shouldn't say going after it, but he was kind of looked displeased with his assistance. Um, perhaps particularly, uh, I forget if actually, I forget which assistant they said, I don't want to say one in case it was the wrong name, but again, which just had me thinking like, you know, that's what really had me thinking about. Like, this is like when, you know, ex football coach of Florida and ex offensive coordinator and offensive line coach would start a game with a scripted drive and not get the play calls in somehow. And um, it's, it's just little things like that, where then you see Sean Miller on the other sideline, just like just stunting on people with every time he's got a chance to draw something up. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that is uh, it's, it's notable in in a game like this, that's a couple of possessions. So um, I I'm like you, do I think that, you know, Kugel smoking layups is going to be a problem all season. Yeah, maybe, I guess we'll find out. I have no sweeping conclusions to make after I would say not. I don't think this is the first time he's missed a couple layups. So I think it would be fair if someone's like, Oh, this is, you know, yeah, he's missed five now, by the way. Yeah. So, um, and, and again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's oftentimes where it's like, well, you know what? I, it's not like I don't want him taking those shots once he gets there. So assume he approves with age. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's 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 just like Florida not knowing how to get into a timeout like that. And of course, you could also say, like, I think a lot of people are skeptical about the Myron Jones being the lead ball handler situation a- as it is. And if that's where you stand, I think even little things like this would would point like, OK, maybe he's not really comfortable as the quarterback of an offense. I, I think that would be a f- not to make any sweeping conclusions about one egregious turnover, but with it mixed in with some other sample size. Okay. Maybe primary ball handler is not where he feels most comfortable. Yeah. And I mean, I thought he was having a pretty good half until that happened. Um, but that's the kind of play that changes outcomes of, of basketball games. I mean, at worst, Florida was going to go into the half down a point. Um, and 
you know, as a result of that, because uh, they the shot clock goes off. So <laughs> as a result of that, like, you know, Florida goes down four and it's an eight point run, like I said, in 70 seconds. I mean, you know, and I'm sure Golden will, you know, if, if some there was if I'm glad I was right about there being some sort of miscommunication because, um, yeah, I'm sure that's something that Todd will be accountable for. But does he need to be like you still need to protect the basketball in that situation, man? Like, you know, like that's the that's the problem there. And, you know, you then you pick up a, a foul on Castleton like later in the season in a conference game like that. I mean, it was bad today, but that's the kind of thing that can devastate you in a close conference game. Cause then Colin, what if he's playing with two fouls, which by the way, we saw Todd Golden do that today. Um, you know, showing a, a, a huge departure that we expected from the Mike white era, with Kyle often playing seven first half minutes on two fouls. Uh, you know, so they obviously trust Kyle. Um, Kyle didn't have a very good game shooting the ball uh, ends up minus 11. I think as a result really of, not being able to hit any shots, but he had six assists and only one turnover. And as you said, like when their continuity ball screen or their pure pick and roll, like man, Kyle can actually cook in that as a passer. So I, I don't think that they're going to do anything different um, as it relates to their lead ball handler. Although if they are to Eric's point, it kind of needs to be Trey Bonham. And maybe that's where you reintegrate a Wacy or a Niles Lane to, improve this team defensively at some point um i i will tweet out video of the katsuri ball screen and, and write something on it so that people know i know people are always tweeting at me asking what florida is doing offensively they want to know what's different between the previous regime and and just people you know i feel like people's people's standard for what they wanted a florida basketball coverage has really gotten a lot a lot larger i don't know if people you know Good, good, good. Ten years ago, were as were as interested in in the nuances of Florida's offense, but I love it. So <laughs> um, at some point, I I will do that. But I, you know, and I'll I'll say again with 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 Lofton, just kind of not, this is and again, this is not where Florida lost the game. So I'm not like not putting this on Kyle Lofton, but much yep. like when Florida had when things were dire, Florida had pretty much lost against Florida Atlantic. The ball was in the hands of Kyle Lofton, who was like, okay, we need Gators needed someone who could get a bucket. He got absolutely zero separation. And I don't even thought, think he got a shot at the rim. Um, was a situation again at the end of this game where Gators needed a bucket. They needed someone to go one-on-one. He didn't really create separation. And he took a three-point shot that I don't think got higher than 11 feet and grazed the front of the rim. Yeah, Th- that That is the limitation with, with uh, Kyle Lofton. That again, I, I think even going into this year, that's what like Florida's coaching staff had to know that he was not someone who was going to create a shot one on one. But like, hey, we're in we're in close games, and it's uh, I would have liked Bonham in that situation. I'll I'll say that, and not that I would want ice cold Kwasi Reeves, but if Kwasi Reeves is in in the mix playing a regular shift, he's someone I I, I think should have the bonus hands a little bit. And and again, I think it's just some again something to kind of consider with. Uh, how the Gators are playing basketball and how their rotations are going to work is like at the end of game situation. Again, as, as we know, it's as, as much as Colin Castleton is incredible. It's tough to play through a post player at the end of these close games, especially if you're, you know, behind by three or two possessions, you need, you need someone who can handle the ball. And uh, I would say the Gators have uh, not been excellent again in only a couple situations to do that. Um, 
So that's uh, that's my one take on on Lofton. And I will I will echo your sentiment. Seeing the two foul uh, participation slash you know three foul participation and everything in the second half, um, loved seeing that from from the yeah. Staff. And that was one of the things that we knew we would see. And like even though you knew it was coming, you knew that Todd Golden was going to keep his guys in with two <laughs> fouls and three fouls. Oh man, did it feel good to see? I I, well, I loved it. I just like Lofton picked up his second. Didn't even look at the bench. Picked up his third. Didn't even look at the bench um, in the, in the second half. Third foul. Didn't even look at the bench. I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is excellent. And what happens? The Gators have their best players on the floor at the biggest moment. I mean, CJ Felder fouls out. I think that you know if that was really late. They did not allow. They they did not pre foul out their players. So um, I do hope that people recognize that as um, something that Golden did. That like, who knows? Maybe this is uh maybe the Gators lose by twelve if they have some of their starters sitting on the bench with uh a couple of fouls um, because, you know, the Gators weren't using analytics, but because they were Gators had their best players on the floor and uh, a game that I really felt like could have slipped away from the Gators. Um, they stayed close in the whole way. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, look, I'm with you on, let me add this on the Lofton thing too, just to kind of uh, tie a bow on that thought is, um, you know, he was 0 of 5 and no pass possessions. So he shoots two of 10 Five of his misses are no pass possessions. Um, and then you could add the sixth one, which is the possession Eric's talking about at the end of the game, where uh, they actually did get the ball to Bottom, and then Bottom went back to Lofton, and that was it. It was a one-pass type deal, and I wish Bottom wouldn't have deferred. Or if they're going to go back to Lofton, I wish Lofton had been thinking, how do I get the ball back to Trey Bottom, right? Um, that probably being more optimal than just – a pure one, no, no pass possession period. But yeah, I mean, Kyle Lofton as an isolation player um, is not going to be it for this Florida team. Mm -hmm. And I think what was so funny is like, you know, two, three years ago, we, I guess it was longer than that. Now we went through this with Andrew Nimhard and like Mike White isolating Andrew Nimhard late in games. But like, the thing was like, Andrew was bigger than Lofton physically, uh, you know, and, at least capable of like backing a guy down pretty consistently. And like Kyle's not even going to be able to do that. So yeah. Uh, Eric is, is a hundred percent right in that department and still Florida played their best offensive game, 19 assists, um, which is a lot. Uh, they actually matched Xavier who came in the country eighth in assist uh, per game. So um, Xavier had 19 assisted baskets. Florida had 19 assisted baskets. The Gators only had um, 11 turnovers, which is going to win you a lot of high-level games. That's a that's a pretty fair number given that Florida had 79 shots. Uh, Florida had 20 more shots than Xavier um, and still lost by seven, uh, just sort of a testament to the defensive malaise that has kind of infected this team, quite frankly, over four of their first five games. I mean – and remember, the team that they shut down was a Stony Brook team that was a walking wounded uh, and a Florida State team in one half that apparently is the game that can't shoot straight and a walking mash unit. So, um, you know, any other thoughts on uh, Florida's disappointing? Yeah, because this is a big – it's a big – you know, it's not a get loss that hurts Florida, obviously, but it, as we've talked about a lot, uh, it changes what is ahead of Florida in this tournament. 
Um, I have, well, I'll have two more questions for you. Um, the first one, the second one will be quicker. So uh, the first one I'll say, uh, well, first I'll mention, like, I, I do think that CJ Felder's been playing good basketball. I'll just uh, speak his name, say that I think he's doing, he's playing well. And I thought that uh, it was kind of nice to see him rewarded with a couple of points. Um, you're welcome to talk anything about CJ Felder. If you'd like to see, I know you said like, maybe you want a little bit more fudge action. So is that like, would you, would you say that's at the expense of CJ Felder or, um, would you like to see more CJ Felder at five, which is, you know, something that's not really yet. <laughs> um, but what I really wanted to ask you about is we saw, I don't know if it's the first time, um, but certainly the first time at a big moment, we saw the, we saw the uh, Jason Jatobo next to Colin Castleton. Um, curious your thoughts on, on that lineup. Yeah, they need to, they need to work on that one a little, Eric. Uh, they didn't <laughs> seem to occupy space well together. Um, I thought Florida got discombobulated um defensively with those two on the floor um you know i understood that jason was out on jack ninja on one of the threes that ninja could i guess it was a three where they they could have rotated back to ninja they faked the pass to ninja and went underneath and and florida gets kind of trapped in a mismatch down there with with um you know kyle lofton guarding a big and xavier gets a basket you know look I think Florida, if they're going to do that, they've got to figure out how to to occupy space better so that they're not chasing rotations and and getting trapped in pin downs and and such. Yeah, I uh, don't love the idea of that that lineup, or I, I should say, I didn't love the idea of that lineup. Um, and seeing it in action did not uh, did not change my opinion um, yet. And I think part <laughs> of it is. Uh, well, and and I, I mean, this is again a little bit too early to say, um, but Jason Jatobo, who is someone that I kind of, you know, I know a lot of people just love and are cheering for him so much, and and I'm cheering for him too, but I'm cheering for him while also having a fair bit of skepticism of his fit at the high major level, and I will say that he entered this game with some pretty bad on-off numbers, and I didn't, I haven't looked at the plus minuses from tonight, so I don't know if that bears out tonight. But I would just say, like, I don't even think it's been a bad start to the season for Jatobo. It's just certainly hasn't been been a good one. And um, I just think it was nice to see uh, see Fremantle and I think Nunji get some one on one post post ups against CJ Felder and him just like remain like so like, so stout and defended really well. I it was like one of those things that I, I was kind of hoping I'm like man, maybe this will show that the Gators can like play some CJ Felder at the five minutes. So um, I, again, would like to see CJ Felder at the five a little bit more. Um, maybe that opens up some more, uh, um, some more Alex fudge at the four um, or just, you know, getting him on, on the floor. Um, so that's kind of, uh, that was kind of why I was you know, just interested in your thoughts on the front court. Um, I think I, and then I just have one more um, last question for you. Um, I kind of thought we might be talking at well, thought there was a chance we'd be talking about Duke on this podcast when I knew that we set the time to record. That is, of course, not the case. But I'm curious uh, what your prediction is, whether it's score or style of play. What do you think happens when Xavier plays Duke tomorrow? So I'm interested to see what Sean Miller cooks up overnight. Um, and I doubt that it's a total overnight scout. But at the same time, um, as we discussed in the last pod, Eric, I'm sure both these staffs really felt like Let's just beat Florida. Let's just beat Xavier. Uh, so I think a lot of the, you know, the Gilman's work will be done tonight and then they'll have their morning meeting. Um, 
what can you do to force Duke to shoot perimeter jump shots? And like, what can you do to sort of limit Duke's interior touches? And Xavier is really well equipped to, to do that. Right. With the two quality bigs, um, Jason Jatoba was minus seven, by the way, before I forget to shout that out on the pod. And that's in 13 minutes. So that's not good. Like that's, yeah, that's worse than what Will Richards minus 15 and 33 is. Uh, and so, you know, be that as you will. So you could say Jason Jatobo in splits was Florida's worst player um, in this game. Uh, okay, but yeah, I, I look, Duke shot 26% against Oregon State. Granted, Oregon State played zone for 23 minutes, and then they couldn't rebound to save their lice out of it. So they switched to man defense uh, on and off. And then they would go back to the zone and they go back to the man once they like scored enough points or got enough. Re- <laughs> it was an interesting game. Um, man, like Duke right now with Tariq Whitehead kind of hurt still or still adjusting to being back. They aren't getting a lot out of Derek Lively. Um, you know, uh, Mario Mitchell, is that his name? Malik Mitchell, Mario Mitchell. Gosh, um, not really a, a, sh- a shooter. Uh, so I don't know, man. Like, I'm starting to wonder, like, is Duke going to score at a real high level? You know, there's not the knockdown, you know, there's no Apollo on this team. That'll be interesting to uh, to see, especially with, uh, with you know, Whitehead, who I think some people probably liked most out of their, their freshman. He wasn't the highest rated necessarily, but I think just like, someone who's more of a perimeter position. Now that'll be interesting to see, but um, I think a lot of people hope that we would be doing a full Duke preview of this podcast, but uh, but that is not the case. It is the Oregon state Beavers who um, I think shocked us all by playing a very, very close game with, uh, with Duke today. Um, If someone is listening to this podcast and saying, um, Hey, I don't really know anything about Oregon state. um, I would say that's, there's probably a reason why they were three and 28 last season, which still is one of those things to me that when I read it, I'm like, think it's a typo because um, you could really argue that last year was one of the worst seasons um, by a high major team ever, um, at least in the the modern era. Um, So, uh, and this season, uh, Portland state, they got, they got blasted by Portland state. So uh, um, they did play a pretty competitive game with Tulsa who's a pretty good basketball team. And then they played um, very tight with, with, with Duke, which uh, I'll say shocked me, but uh, what did you see in, in, in this game? And uh, what are your takeaways? What are your feelings about Oregon state after seeing that one? Well, they're going to zone the Gators for sure. Um, and, you know, I don't know if it'll be 23 minutes of zone. And then I think they run into a lot of the same problems against Florida that they ran into against Duke kind of ironically. Uh, and then maybe that's a real, Shout out for more uh, CJ Felder, you know, and Alex Fudge. Like Florida needs to get guys in that can control the glass. Um, you know, Duke did what you need to do when you're playing a zone and, and not hitting shots. They just crushed Oregon State with 22 offensive rebounds um, and out rebounded them by plus 16. In the second half, when Oregon State got tired, a lot of those offensive rebounds. Um, either led to fouls or what would happen is Oregon state would foul Duke trying to establish position to get defensive rebounds. 
And so Duke was in the bonus awfully quick, went to the free throw line a lot. Um, I think Wayne Tinkle is a good coach at a hard job. Uh, and Wayne Tinkle has to kind of back up my claim on that, Eric, he's been to two NCAA tournaments in eight seasons. Um, and I don't know if Eric mentioned this or not. I was looking at the Duke Oregon state numbers real quick. This is what happens when you're doing a show like on the fly. Um, but not only did they go three and 28, which is like super hard to do in power six basketball, uh, they went three and 28 after making the elite eight and being like five points from the final four. Hmm. So like you talk about six points from the final four. So you talk about just the overwhelming, like it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, they did have to reboot last year. They lost one of their elite eight players to the NBA. Um, there is no Ethan Thompson uh, on this team either. So, you know, they're not necessarily going to to get you that way. Uh, but I do think that they're going to be a little bit better. Um you know, and, and again, that's not saying much considering how bad it was, but uh, I think Dexter Akanu, who played really, really good um, against Duke uh, tonight, had 12 points, got to the free throw line a bunch. Um, is usually a really good free throw shooter. Unfortunately for Oregon State, he missed a couple key free throws uh, late in the game, but just played really good defense on Jeremy Roach too, uh, which – should raise some eyebrows because unlike Kyle often, like Jeremy Roach is a guy who can kind of get into the lane and be explosive. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they're going to, the first thing that I think you'll notice is that they're going to guard you. Um, they clearly played enough of this zone last year in their reboot that they're kind of scratching the surface of how to play it. Well, uh, they don't rebound well out of it because they just don't have enough, size that they sort of rotate in and out. I mean, they have a seven footer named Chal Marial. Um, and then they have a real big senior guy, uh, senior inside named Rodrigue Andela. Uh, but Andela plays the five some when Marial's not on the floor. He mostly plays the four. And he's gonna be kind of like their Zach Fremantle, except far less skilled and way more physical. Um, so those are kind of their two interior pieces. I don't think that they have anyone that really shoots the ball great. I mentioned Akanu uh, as kind of a guy that that they think can eventually become kind of a scorer for them. He's still a young player. They have a European uh, Belarusian named uh, Dizimitri Ryuni, um, who is also another guy that can shoot it a little bit. He was two or four from deep against Duke. And then, their best returning player is Glenn Taylor Jr. Um, he was their leading scorer last year. Played not great tonight against the Blue Devils. Um, I think Duke did a real nice job of kind of face guarding him and denying him the ball in particular because uh, he's a guy that is going to beat you off the bounce, and he likes to be ball dominant. And John Shire and the Blue Devils did a really nice job of just denying him the basketball altogether. I was super impressed. Um with the defense that the youngster Tyrese Proctor played on him in particular. Uh, although that was a team effort. They, they brought in Jacob Grandison a lot and got quality minutes of him, but it was pretty much like, let's put our best defender on Glenn Taylor and make their other pieces beat us. And that was huge because again, like Duke shot 26% shot 17% from deep five of 29. Um, 
So, you know, by most accounts, like Duke should have lost that game, but Duke was able to get stops. And if that scares you, it probably should, Eric. I think so. One thing I, I, I do really like about Oregon State, which is like funny to say about a team that's three and twenty-eight, but like, you know, Coach Tinkle like understands that they are not really a high major team playing in a high major conference. So yes, they play the zone to kind of like muck it up and then they play like extremely slow offensively. And uh, so they're trying to play really slow offensively and trying to play really, really slow down the other team defensively. Um, Neil, I was going to surprise us or surprise you with, with just an amazing guest, Andrew Dekoff, who's one of my favorite college basketball follows uh, on Twitter and an Oregon state alum who also covers the team. Um, so I was hoping to get him on. He's at the PK 85, but he's also having to cover like Oregon's like the state of Oregon's like high school track and field whatever's um so he he couldn't come on but i was gonna gonna get him on the show to talk about the beavers but he's he's like you know my guy for all things beaver which isn't always you know anything i need to utilize but would have been good for today but one thing i i think that he does that's that's really funny is like in like the 90s there was a uh something that uh, the oregon state basketball program put out where like they, they also were known for playing like really slow back then and it was like a graphic with this like beaver dressed as a uh as a referee doing the shot clock violation, patting himself on, on the head. And they had signs that said four shot clock violations are highlights. And they're like, <laughs> and in recent years under Tinkle, he's like started to use that as, you know, s slightly ironically, but very seriously that like the biggest highlight this team is going to have is forcing shot clock violations from the other team. So it's just like, you know, that the Oregon state fans kind of, they're a very self-aware bunch. Um, they know their team is in one of, like you said, the the toughest high major jobs, just facilities wise, um, you know, location wise, things are not set up for great success there. So they're going to try to muck it up. And I think when you just see that final score against Duke and you see how low possession, low score it was, that's like that, that is the only way that a school like Oregon state is going to hang with a school like Duke. And they just about got a win by doing it. So, uh, you know what they're going to do against the Gators. They're not going to look to, Hey, here's one thing, Neil, they're certainly not going to try to test Florida's transition defense. Um, and I will say this, if Florida's given up transition buckets tomorrow, <laughs> then, then I will officially say, yes, I am concerned that the Gators have a transition defense problem. Um, one little storyline as well. Reuni, who you mentioned um, from Belarus, six one nine kind of yeah. stretch, stretch forward played for Todd golden at San Francisco, like two seasons ago, he started pretty much every game kind of fell out as they got better players. I think just kind of got he, caught in the mix a little bit and got, he got hurt as well. And, um, but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, this would be a little bit of a reunion with, uh, with him and, and Todd golden, um, after, you know, another reunion, which, uh, did not go very well for the Gators as Sule boom, who we mentioned was awesome. And, Everything I was looking for in a you know mid major transfer to the high major level, I thought Sule Boom would be awesome as a transfer, and it looks like that's the case. So um, this one did not go in, in Coach Golden's favor playing a former player. Uh, let's hope that it uh, changes against Oregon State. Yeah, no, Ruyuni was uh, good enough to be uh, all WCC by the way um, for for Todd, uh, and then yeah, as Eric said, kind of fell out of the rotation last year late in the season. Um, says he struggled to recover from his injury. Um, they do play that one, three, one and two, three. They'll mix them um, both. Eric, they played 22 minutes of uh one, three, one zone per game in that NCAA tournament run. Um, 
per hoop lens, which I thought was an interesting uh, statistic. Uh, the key is often whoever is at the top of the zone in that particular uh, system, um, Eric, and the guy that they really like at the top of that zone uh, is also their best offensive player in Gwen Taylor Jr., who is, uh, you know, a genuine 6'6 and really quick. He's a really good player, and and uh, it's 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 sad to think like every time I look at a team like Oregon State and I see someone who looks really good, it has good size like that, and I kind of like, oh, I wonder what school he's going to end up at next, um, which I feel bad about, but I do think that says a little bit about where what Oregon State is is kind of at. Like they're one of the youngest teams in the country this year, um, so they just you know don't have a lot of players that that were back from last year. The players that did come back are like a Glenn Taylor, who's a good player, but. Um, uh, you know, only in his, in his second year. And now it's like, okay, you've got to be our leader against Duke. So uh, I, I do think he's, he's excellent. Um, someone who kind of, uh, you know, certainly knows his role. He's a physical downhill driver and, and it's uh, able to really pick his spots, I think. So I, I think he's a good, good solid player. So um, I guess if there's anyone to be kind of aware of, it would, it would be him. And then like, while Rooney hasn't shot, like been torching things from, from deep quite yet, uh, he has that ability a little bit and be, we know that the Gators are going to drop pick and rolls a lot of the time. So of course, one way you can beat the drop is with the pick and pop. So I'll be interested if they get reunion into, uh, into some pick and pop situations and, and see if they can beat uh, Florida's drop pick and roll coverage there. But uh, um, I, it, it's going to be like, I'll say funny to watch. Probably a lot of casual fans are not going to like this because this will not be an aesthetically pleasing game of basketball. I don't believe um, but it's just like, it's just, I, I just genuinely like enjoy Oregon state's <laughs> genuine dedication to, we walk into every high major game knowing we are the less talented team and we're going to have to slow it down to a snail's pace and see if we can get a pick and pop reuni three with two seconds left in the shot clock and, and, you know, hope those fall so we can set our zone. Um, there, there, there's part of me that just like appreciates that. And that's one of the things that I love about college basketball on the 32nd shot clock. You see teams um, playing things differently. And uh, I would have thought there's no way that they were going to hang with Duke. And uh, they certainly did. So um, I, I'd say that has to give you some concern for, uh, for a Gators team where I think it's, you know, I guess maybe fair to say that Oregon state's going to feel like they have a little bit more to play for than the Gators where at the same time, uh, man, Florida's got a lot to play for because this is a loss. They, they certainly don't need um, Oregon state right now is 223rd in Ken Palm. So uh, that would put you uh, very much in the bad loss category. If the Gators were to drop this one. Yeah, it would. I think it's going to, you're talking like quad three defeat. Um, by the end of the year, which FAU won't be. I'm going to just keep pointing out that Florida Atlantic is good. <laughs> and like uh, in my mind right now, Florida has a quad one loss and a quad two loss, and it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, my overarching takeaway from today is Florida has to play better defense, man. Like they've got to figure out how to play better defense. And if that means sacrificing some offense and getting Alex Fudge on the floor more, then that's fine. I won't mention Niles Lane again because – He's got two straight DMPs, so it might be time for me to punt and play defense on that, even though I think I'm right. Um, you know, okay. But, you know, let's get the guys that you are playing that you know can get stops, C.J. Felder, Alex Fudge. Let's get these guys on the floor because this team has to get more stops. And, in fact, I just decided, Eric, off the top of my head, 
to do uh, a new Jimmy Dykes S segment. And I say it's Jimmy Dykes S because the way it was working in my head, I could picture Jimmy Dykes saying it. It seemed kind of ridiculous, but from now on, before Eric signs off a podcast, I'm going to do a feature called the guy to guard and the guy to guard tomorrow is going to be Jordan Pope. And speaking of the Dimitri Reuni uh, connection, um, Jordan Pope had the San Francisco Dons hat on the table with the Oregon state hat, picked up the Oregon state hat, um, had 14 points today against Duke played a team high 38 minutes. And he took one of the two threes that they had to tie the game at the end. That's how much they trust the true freshman who's shooting 40% from deep on high volume already this season. He's the guy to guard. If Florida doesn't guard him could be third L. But I think that that story also just kind of illustrates where Oregon state is as a program. Like these are the guys kind of like with all this conference realignment talk and the legitimate talk about will the PAC 12 exist in a couple of years or in what it again, again, we don't have to get into that. <laughs> yes. It looks like, it looks like with the new playoff format there, pro- if I understand the college football structure um, enough, I think that that probably means the PAC 12 is in a, you know, somewhat good place to just stay a league, but um, there's you know <laughs> legitimately a time where I was like, you know, will the PAC 12 dissolve? And if so, like Oregon state's one of those teams that would be a lot closer to a WCC team or a Mountain West team than someone who should go to another high major conference. And I think that that, kind of illustrates just where they're at as a program where um, Todd Golden at San Francisco was legitimately competing with them for, for recruits. And it would have been, you know, if, if Golden got that one at San Francisco, that wouldn't be like a laughable thing for Oregon state. That's just kind of the guys they, they go for But um, yeah, this is uh, going to be an, in, going to be an interesting one um, for sure. Um, we will probably not podcast after this game. Um, so it's going to be after Sunday, after the Gators have, have rounded out um, whatever happens. So I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. Uh, Neil, I know you did say that you were going to say your new bit um, before I signed off the show. So I feel like I'm talking too much. I'll close it out. I hope everyone had a tremendous Thanksgiving holiday and ate extra because, you know, I'm Canadian and we don't get Thanksgiving here. So um, <laughs> or we have I said October. So I hope you ate plenty um, for me. So thank you guys. Um, hope you have a good weekend watching a couple games. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.